All right. Well, hey, thanks for coming tonight. Uh, I've got notes for you. It's a, an overview of Malachi. What I would like to do is just read through it and, and put the, there's six, uh, we'll just say, disputes that, that are in this book. Uh, it, it's written as, again, Malachi's writing it. He's the author, the prophet. But Malachi is not necessarily speaking or saying things, although he, uh, we would assume that he's speaking for God. God is doing the speaking, and as many cases in these six disputes, is putting quotes into the mouth of the Israelites or Judah. And the term Israel is used in this book, which is interesting because it's been Judah that has come back. Israel has fallen as a nation. They've been dispersed, the, the northern tribes, although the tribes have been dispersed into Judah and they came back. But the whole nation is being referred to as Israel because it's important for the concept of the covenant that is, is being referred to throughout the, this writing. Um, and so what you have is, again, these six disputes, and we're going to go through them tonight. I think they're interesting. Uh, but one of the, the main points, I think, that sets the stage for it is the people, uh, and these are the two groups that are going to be re rebuked, the people of Israel, the people of Judah, and then the priests or the Levites, are going to be called out. Uh, sometimes the people for their attitude, and then often the priests and Levites for their negligence. One particular case is the people are drifting away with a bad attitude, not a, treating the sacrifices correctly, and the Levites seem to just kind of put up with it. They just go through the motions. And the Levites, he's going to point out, you've, you've been given the words of God. You've been given the covenant. You've been given the instruction. In other words, when these people failed and they came sloppily into the temple, you should have corrected them. And all of these things, as I'm, I'm looking at this, uh, you can just see parallels with our own time, if it be the church. You've got people that are getting caught up in the culture and the ways of the world. Well, then you've got, you know, if you want to say the church or if you've got the leadership, you've got the Word of God. And it's like when you see the people drifting, you need to come back and give them the Word of God. Say, no, that's wrong. Yes, this is right. This is true doctrine. And oftentimes, as long as they bring the sacrifice, you go through the motions, everybody everybody's fine. We don't want to cause a problem. Uh, that is one issue. The other issue that we see, and that's kind of, I got some dates written on there, is the people, I'll just say eschatology. Eschatology, that's a big word to spell, eschatology. Um, we look at this as a biblical story. And so we're, the, we're on the end of history, and all these people were just waiting for Jesus Christ to come. Well, they were, but they didn't, they didn't see if, if the year is, you know, uh, here I've got the year Malachi around 420, 4, you know, 25, 420, something like this. Here's 432. It's right in that time period. They, they don't see any of these things, but yet they've got the same Old Testament verses that we have talking about someday the Lord is going to come to his temple. Someday the Lord is going to, there's going to be all these things. Uh, there's going to be a, uh, uh, the David will, the uh, son of David will be seated. The uh, crown of Israel will be restored. And so when you look at what took place here for these people, and again, I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because you're familiar with it, but look on page one. I've just got those dates. 539, and you can see it starts right here on our calendar or timeline. 539, Cyrus makes the decree. 538, you've got Joshua and Zerubbabel. They're coming back to the land. Now this right here has to be an exciting time 
if you want to say eschatologically or doctrinally or prophetically. Because you've got guys like Isaiah, Jeremiah, many prophets that we've gone through that said this destruction was coming. They said they're coming. And then they're in this captivity. Ezekiel and Daniel are prophesying. But they're all talking about, you know, not just the judgment coming, but the Lord will restore you. You will be brought back. Even Moses says when you disobey, God is going to scatter you, but he will bring you back. Well, you talk about things that take place in Israel, uh, you know, if, if say, whatever, if, it, if what takes place in the Gaza Strip or the, the return to the land or, you know, they find a new, you know, red heifer or whatever, it's like, oh, oh, it looks like it's the end times. Uh, well, imagine being dispersed in Babylonian captivity, and then all of a sudden the emperor says, you can go back, and everybody's back in the land, and they begin building the temple, they face opposition, but then two more prophets arise in 520, Haggai and uh, Zechariah, encouraging the people, and the temple is rebuilt in 516, exactly 70 years, just like was prophesied by, uh, by Jeremiah, after... Uh, the destruction of the temple, exactly 70 years later, it's rebuilt. It's like, we're in the end times. Now again, forget, they don't know John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, justification by faith in the you know, New Testament. You don't know the Apostle Paul. They're looking at the same Old Testament verses we look at. And imagine if you're lo- living here, it's like, we're expecting great things. We're expecting the, the son of David, you know, is going to be seated on the throne. Jerusalem is going to rule, he's going to rule the world from Jerusalem. And so soon, uh, Israel will be established. Uh, The nations will flock. It's already written in the scriptures that they've got. All the nations will flock to Jerusalem uh, to walk in the light of the Lord. Now, the Lord had entered the tabernacle in the wilderness. I mean, they actually saw the glory come down. The Lord had entered. They actually saw it. They were there, shut down the services because the Lord entered Solomon's temple. But then Ezekiel records the glory leaving the temple. Well, when this temple was rebuilt, what do you expect? What would you expect to happen if the temple has been rebuilt? And you've got the text of Scripture where you see the Lord come down in the tabernacle. The Lord comes down in Solomon's day in the temple that Solomon built. And then you've got the Scripture where Ezekiel's writing at this time about him seeing the glory leave the temple. And then the temple was torn down, just like the prophets had said. Uh, Jeremiah records it. Ezekiel knows it takes place. But Ezekiel also prophesies at the end of his book of the glory returning to the Mount of Olives and re-entering the temple. Well, what's the next thing to take place? Once this temple has been built, it's, it's, God is going to reoccupy it. We're about to see, just like in the wilderness, it came down in the temple. Uh, Solomon's day came down in his temple. The Lord is going to return to his temple 516 we're ready and we've read through the books nothing happened except oppression they had trouble with and i've got some things written down here uh yeah right there bottom page 1.2 during all these times they're having trouble with economics they're having trouble with government independence they're having they're being overrun by the samaritans and the ammonites they're having trouble with the religious independence. They've, they're marrying foreign women. They've got foreign religions in their city. They've got foreign religions in the temple. They're having trouble with the temple getting constructed, you know, until 516. Then they're having trouble with the agriculture and prosperity. There's no one even, the, the city of Jerusalem's not occupied. People are living out in the country just to f- 
survive. The city of Jerusalem, it's not built up. They came back to a burnt out city. Even when Nehemiah gets there, uh, you go back to 445, Nehemiah returns to build the walls of Jerusalem. Remember, the gates still had burnt beams in the gates in 445. So we come down here, you've got 458, Nehemiah comes back to teach the people the law because they'd forgot the law of Moses and they need to know the covenant. Nehemiah comes back in 445 to build the walls and the gates because the walls are still in ruins. It, no one wants them rebuilt. The politic politicians don't around the, the nations around Jerusalem don't want the walls built. So if you walk through a gate, there'd still be burnt, charred beams from the 586 destruction. We know that from going through Nehemiah. Uh, so they've got they're in, they're in poverty, point G. The population growth and reconstruction of the city of Jerusalem hasn't taken place. The reconstruction of the walls to protect Jerusalem and the temple hasn't taken place. And then, of course, they have to have a dedicate. They themselves are living in this state of confusion. Now, Malachi is coming into the picture somewhere in here. Again, sometime after 445, because the temple's built, the temple's up and running, uh, the priests are in position, uh, but it's not too much later than that. And so they are expecting, I would be, being a Bible teacher and kind of, you know, you always, we all have that lean towards end times, eschatology, when's the Lord coming back? Well, we came back to the land. We've rebuilt the temple. We've got two prophets talking to us. We do all these things. The son of David should appear. Maybe it's Zerubbabel. Maybe it's someone else. Nehemiah, we build the walls. And we're just like, we're here. There's no end times. We're still in oppression. They're still having a hard time. And that kind of sets the stage for Malachi. If you can think about it that way, especially as you end the book, he's going to, and I, I got to get into the book here now, because he's definitely going to have some references to the Lord coming, the Lord bringing judgment, the Lord is sitting as a refiner's fire. But it's not, again, now watch this. We've, we've had charts of eschatology up here. I've got my little diagrams. But I, I, would, I would now challenge myself, and I, I even, even when I was teaching it, it's like, you don't really know. You don't. I think I've got the prophecies. The Lord will descend. These are the things that are going to take place. This is what we're looking for. They had Scripture also. And again, who's more like an eschatological people? Us? In the Midwest? In 2024? Or these people who just came back according to the prophecies of Jeremiah and Isaiah, rebuilt the temple just like Ezekiel said would take place. The glory had left, but the glory was promised to return to the temple when it was rebuilt. And here they are. They're living right here. It's, it's like, and then it, nothing happens. It's like we, we're still poor. Uh, we still got opposition from all the nations. I mean, the nations are oppressing us. We're not ruling them, nor are they streaming to Jerusalem to learn from the son of David, the Messiah who's sitting on the throne. I mean, we're oppressed financially. We're oppressed with the agriculture. We're oppressed by the nations. Uh, and so it's kind of like, you know, I'm not buying into this. This is kind of like, and they, they've lost momentum. Now again, is this, before the days of Nehemiah, right after the days of Nehemiah, where is this? We're not sure. I'm putting it right around 432, 4, 4, 425. But now we turn to page 2 on the notes. And I'm going to try to do this tonight respectfully. 
and these are the six disputations. And it deals with covenant. We're going to come back and go through the book uh, of Malachi verse by verse, starting next week, chapter 1, verse 1, march through each of these. But the covenant. And we have two covenants. We've got the Abrahamic covenant, which is an unconditional covenant that you are chosen. Oh, boy. There's that word. My eraser fell apart. You are selected. You are my selected people. Unconditional, meaning what do they have to do to be a descendant of Abraham? Nothing. I am, I've, I've chosen you. It's easy to say, hard to spell for me. But then you're going to have, if you're going to be those people, you're going to have to have the Mosaic Law and the Mosaic Covenant, which is now going to be a conditional covenant. If you're going to be these people, we're going to have to have some rules for you to live by. And these are going to be part of the obedience of how, since you are these selected people, I, I need you living this way. And we've got a covenant. Now these people are going to be, have, have broken this covenant. In fact, it begins, here we go, the very first one on page two, the, 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 at the top, it says the series of six disputes are based on the legal covenant that God had with Israel, both the Mosaic and the Abrahamic covenant. Um, the prof and uh, there's two groups here. You've got, and this is going to come up, this is important in the book, you've got two groups of people. You've got Moses, the lawgiver, who's going to establish it, and then you're going to have the prophets who are going to call you back to it and then tell you when you were wrong, what the warning is, tell you you're going into captivity because you broke this. So you've got Moses, the founder of it, and the prophets are calling you back. As this book develops, the promise is both these guys are going to be replaced. There's going to be a new a new Moses. Now, he doesn't call, you a new, call it a new Moses, but Moses, he says, there'll be a prophet like me arise. This Moses that's going to send it in a different direction is, what we, is the Messiah. It's, it's Jesus. And then there's going to be a prophet that's going to come before him to say, get ready, he's coming, and so there's going to be a new prophet. And this new prophet, just to sum it up, John the Baptist saying, Jesus is here. The messenger of the covenant. Either this prophet is the messenger. That's, you know, the word Malachi means messenger. This book is about the covenant. And the new messenger of the covenant is coming. Is that John the Baptist introducing the, the new, the Messiah? Or is the prophet introducing the messenger of the covenant, which is Jesus? So we'll look at that as we get into those, those verses. But that is where this is heading. And he's telling the people... How did that happen? See, my eraser fell apart. Okay. Uh, so here we go. The first dispute, chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, God is saying, I have a covenant with Israel. Now the people, I'm going to walk over here and get a new eraser. All my stuff I've got, all the contraptions... And it all falls. Go online, got live feed, all the whistles and buttons, and it all falls apart because I don't have any eraser and can't spell chosen. Um, so here it begins. The first disputation is the covenant. And the word that gets confusing for us is the word love. You've got to say, I, I have loved you. How have you loved us? 
This love is not emotional. This love is the covenant love. It goes back to, you, it's, it's covenant faithfulness. If you have a covenant with someone, for example, when I say I love my wife, yes, I have an emotional connection. I'm in love with my wife. But that love also captures the ideal of a covenant. I've entered into a covenant with my wife. God has chosen the seed of Abraham. He has loved them. He's not in a co- I'm not in a covenant relationship. I want to be respectful to all women, but I don't have a covenant with any other woman other than my wife. God loves the whole world, but he's got a covenant with Abraham's descendants. It's, it's, it's a different relationship. Now, his intention is to bless the whole world through Abraham, which my marriage analysis breaks down there. Uh, but here we go. Chapter 1, verse 1. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Malachi means messenger. Chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. This is his, his first thing he says. The disputes are always going to involve uh, uh, an accusation. Then it's going to be a demand for proof from Israel. And then concluding evidence. So God is going to make the first statement saying, I have loved you. So we have, he's going to basically say, one, I have a covenant with you. All right? And now they, they don't they believe that. So here, that's the first thing. God is always going to say something. I have a covenant with you. But you ask, how have you loved us? I mean, how have you loved, meaning how have you shown covenant faithfulness to us? I mean, look at us. We just got our walls built, or we're building our walls. We're overrun by these nations. We're in poverty. Uh, wow, well, this, this is a covenant with the Almighty God. We're, we just got back from captivity. We're, we're living here in Jerusalem. God says, hey, I've got a covenant with you guys. You need to straighten up. I mean, you're my chosen people. What kind of, what kind of marriage is this? Oh, we're, we're married. It's like, well, what kind of marriage is this? Someone might say. But you ask, how have you loved us? And now here's the answer. Here's the evidence. Well, he said, well, can listen, let's just make some comparisons. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says? Yet I have loved Jacob. Again, don't think emotional. Think, yet I have a covenant that I am committed to with Jacob. But Esau I have hated. That doesn't mean I'm sending Esau and all of his descendants to hell. I hate them. I just created them as an object of my wrath to punish them. It's like, uh, they're outside this covenant. I have selected you. You are my chosen people. And then this chosen people says, how are we any different than anybody? It's like, we got the same problems everybody's got. He says, well, he says in his answer, they say, how? He says, consider Esau. And here, very quickly, and we'll spend more time on this later. He says, Esau I have hated and have turned his mountains into a wasteland. Now that could have been part of Nebuchadnezzar's work, but more likely by this time in history, the Nabataeans had come across the southern borders and had overrun and driven Edom, as we know, up into, we look at the map, driven them up into southern Judah because they've lost their territory to the Nabataeans, the traitors. Uh, I've turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, he says, now here's the difference between you and Esau. Esau may say, you know what? We just got to get our act together. We're going to rebuild this. We're going to make some building plans. We're going to hire the best of the the contractors, the best of the architects. We're going to hire the the best of the trade. We're going to build a new city. He says, Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. 
But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes. Notice, you will see this. My covenant people who are saying, why? Why are we any different? Most of these things are pointing, meaning to the future. Stay with me. This would be our God's appeal to us. It's like, how are we any different? Hey, stay with me. Stay with me on this. He says, you will see this. I have chosen you, and you are my covenant people. Esau, they may say, we'll rebuild, but I'll destroy it. I'll blow it away. He says, in fact, the days come where you're going to see this. This is all going to be obvious to you, but you're going to have to trust me on this. You will see it with your own eyes and say, watch, you will say, great is Yahweh even beyond the borders of Israel. You will say, not only are we looking for God here, but he has demonstrated his control across all the borders. So there's the first disputation of the people of Israel at this time in history, in Malachi's time, are doubting or wondering, what is the benefit of this covenant? What is the benefit of being a child of Abraham? And God says, well, look at Esau. He's never coming back. If you stay with me, I'm going to show you the difference. In fact, the whole world is going to recognize that you're chosen. So that's the first disputation. And you can see right there, bottom of page two, the six disputes. God has a covenant with Israel. God says, I have a covenant with Israel. Israel says, God does not have a covenant with Israel. Prove it. God says, look at Edom or Esau. Now the second one, chapter one, verse six through chapter two, verse nine. Israel uh, does not fear God and they despise his temple. So as far as God no fear as far as his temple they despise it they do not think the covenant's a big deal i have no no sign that god thinks i'm special or that he's doing anything with me now as far as god ha there's other things to fear beside god when you have your priorities you make your decisions do you think what does god want no i think what's going to work best for me how am i going to solve the problem what are people going to think there's no fear of god and what about the temple worship it's like, whatever, it's not a big deal for them. And so here's this point right here. Is God says, this is the, the second disputation. God says, Israel despises me and gives me no honor. Israel says, wait, wait, how can you say that? How have we despised your name? How can you tell us that we've despised you? We're here all the time. We're living in this land. We're not blessed. We're just sticking it out. He goes, well, he says, the conclusive evidence is, God says, look at your worship practice in the temple. You bring me lame sacrifices, and then your priests and Levites accept the lame sacrifices. So your temple, I told you, this is how you do it. You do it just like this, but you don't. You just do it like that. And the priests that are in charge of it, they go, ah, close enough. That's okay. He says, you despise me. They have no fear of me. You're just going through the rituals. Do you understand? I told you, this is what I want for me this is the word of God, this is the doctrine, and this is how you apply it to your life. Ah, well, we don't really need the word. We just need to be nice to people. And then, you know, just, you know, get along and live in peace with each other. And we're, it's like, no, if you're a Bible teacher, no, we don't just need peace in the world, and we don't just need to be nice. We need correct doctrine, and you need to live a godly life before God. And there comes your whole your Bible teaching. Well, the priests are letting it slide. So here's the verses. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6, chapter, chapter 2, verse 9. God says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? If I'm a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord, or says Yahweh Almighty? 
It is you, O priest, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, and he, he drills the, the priest right there. But you, the people of Israel, the people of Judah, you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You can't say that we've shown contempt for your name. It's like, well, by saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring, meaning the, the temple, uh, the, the, the table, the temple, the, the sacrifice, where you put the food, whatever, uh, it's not a big deal. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? You're supposed to bring a tenth of the tithe in so they find anything that's, that's junky. It's like, you know, goodwill stuff. They bring it in. That's good enough for the Lord. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is this what you think of me? Try offering them to your governor, which, again, that's a clue for the date. They've got a governor established by the Persians, probably Nehemiah at this time. A good guess. Try offering that to a governor. Hey, we brought you a, an offering. We brought you, a, a, you know, some food. It's like, what? Uh, it's, it's a little moldy, but he'll be fine. It's just for the governor. Because your governor's not going to put up with that. Would he be pleased w- with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now implore God to be gracious to us with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Chapter uh, 1, verse 10. Oh, he says, God says, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors. He says, I know you rebuilt it, but do me a favor. Just shut the temple doors. Just say, temple close, so I don't have to work with this. And sometimes I feel that way about churches, that God would be sent again. You choose your own, whatever you think. But you have to admit, there has to be a church somewhere in the world, maybe Generation Word Bible Teaching Ministries, that God is saying, I just wish you would shut the door. It's like you're doing more damage. I'm watching you try to have a church service, try to be the church. Just listen, just spare me the anguish and just, just shut it down. Just shut the thing down. That's what he says about the temple. Do me a favor. Just shut the temple door so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offerings from your hand. My name, now watch, my name will be great among the nations. Once again, in the future, listen, the day is coming where my name is going to be great among the nations. There's no, you can despise me today, but understand, you're going to pay a price for it. There's a day coming where my name will be great, not just in this temple, not just in Jerusalem or Judea, but in the whole, all the nations. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun, in every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. He says, listen, you can shut the temple doors. Spare me the anguish of watching this because, listen, eventually there's going to be offerings and, and incense burnt all across the planet to honor my name. I don't need this place. You're just lucky I chose you to be part of this because I will do this without you. I don't need this. But you profane it by saying of the Lord's table, "Ah, it is defiled, and of its food, "Ah, it is contemptible. And you say, what a burden. And you sniff at it contemptuously going, we got to go there again. We have another holiday that we got to celebrate. When you bring injured or crippled diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands? Says the Lord, cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. In other words, you, take, you sign the contract, yes, I'll bring this animal, and then it matures, grows up, it's like, ah, I'm going to keep that one, and you substitute it with a, a fraudulent one. He says, you're cursed. You have just cursed yourself. You've, I've got a covenant that I will bless you when you behave this way, and you've just behaved in a way that earns you the curse of the covenant. 
For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among, again, the nations. You better start showing up and paying your dues because this is going to get bigger than you can even imagine. Yeah, you're little Judah. I'm going to point at my map that's gone now. You're maybe a little Judah. Ah, there's nothing here, but listen, it's not just little Judah. It's the great God. I'm coming out of Judah to the whole world. You better get your act together. We got to go to verse 9 yet in chapter 2. That's the people. Now, who should correct the people and say, listen, guys, this is not what you signed up for. I, I thought you were going to bring me the, the best of your harvest or you're the best of your, your, your flock, and, and this is not stacking up. This is, you, you know, you, you violated the covenant. The Levites, the priests, the Levites were, in fact, the guardians of the temple. They were the militant force around it, making sure everything was kept in order. Well, here, here's what are they doing. They're like, they're letting it slide. We just don't want... We don't want any conflict on the temple. We don't want to tell the people what to do. Everybody finds God their own way. Just, uh, just as long as we all have peace, because you know, it's supposed to keep the unity and the peace of the church together. Just don't cause any problems. Let's not talk about these doctrines. Let's just keep the peace. It's like, well, here's the priest. They're just keeping the peace, eating the food they can get, got their jobs. And now this admonishment is for you, O priest. If you do not listen, and if you do not set your heart to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I, am, I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessing. In other words, I've blessed you to be my priest, but if you don't do your job, I'll turn that around, and that blessing will become a curse. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not set your heart to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. They're going to lose the priesthood and the Levites. That's coming in the days of the Greeks. It's coming. I will spread on your face the offal from the festival sacrifices. And that's disgusting waste from the sacrificial animals. I'll just smear it on your face. That's not very Christ-like. Uh, but that's what God says. And you will be carried off with it because I'll defile you and you'll be like waste that needs to be just taken out of the temple. And there goes my priest. I've smeared waste on the priest. Ah, you're not clean enough to be in the temple. Get out of my temple. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition so that my covenant with Levi, notice I have a covenant with Levi, may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, with Levi. Now, this is a particular covenant with the tribe of Levi, which included the priest. And they were the teaching tribe. They were not just the ones that got free food because people brought them tithes. They're the ones that were keeping everything on track religiously. The sacrifices, the meaning, the interpretation, the law of Moses. They had uh, cities set up throughout the land to keep teaching the people so they were doctrinally correct. It didn't drift off into pagan worship. Here's what, listen to what God says. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This called for reverence. This is what the priests were supposed to be doing. Reverence. And he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, meaning, wow, the priests, when they spoke, when the Levites taught, it's like that was the word of God coming from them because it was recorded in the Mosaic Covenant. Instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He was teaching the truth of the word as revealed at that time. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. And so when you came as an Israelite into the temple or in your life, and you were drifting off and getting into pagan worship or compromising, or the priest would say, ah, this is what the word said. Ah, this is how we do it. And he would call, and turn many people from sin. 
For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge. And from his mouth men should seek instruction. How do we please the Lord? What does the Lord think? What is the will of the Lord? We go to the priest, the Levites. Can you tell us this? Yes, we have it recorded right here. Because he is the messenger of the Lord. There it is. The priest is the, Malachi is the messenger. His name means messenger. We're going to eventually get to the messenger of the covenant. Here the priests are the messenger of the Lord Almighty. That's what he was called for. That's why he was blessed. But here we go. But you have turned from my way and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You've started accepting these crappy offerings. You've started accepting the compromise. And now many people come in in sin and you let them leave in sin, encouraging sin. You have violated the covenant with Levi. You violated the very reason I gave you this covenant says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you have not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. You teach the things that people want to hear, neglect the things that are offensive and make people change their way of life. You've, shown, you've taught partiality. Okay, that's the second one, uh, that the second disputation. So it comes against the people and then the priest for not correcting the people. The third one... Israel is not faithful to the covenant. And this is going to go two ways. Now, this is a little confused. Mosaic and uh, marriage. All right, mosaic, I'll just, just scribble. Uh, it's going to start talking about covenants. But the first covenant, now this is, you know this, the Mosaic covenant was violated because they, they, uh, they married foreign women who were, it's going to be referred to as the daughters of foreign gods. So the, the, the Jews married daughters from other countries and they brought their gods with them. It even made it onto the Temple Mount. And so they violated the Mosaic Covenant. And you know what Nehemiah and Ezra did? Send them away. Send the kids, send the wives, get them away. Because you violated the Mosaic Covenant. You cannot keep these foreign women here. Now we know, we went through it. If a woman from a foreign country or a man, you could join Israel. You could join Israel, become a follower of Yahweh, and be welcomed in their community. We've studied that before, and we got examples we've looked at. But as a whole, they came with their foreign gods. They didn't change. They changed Israel. They were sent away. And so the people did that. That's because they became unfaithful in the covenant with God. Now watch. That was such a great deal. It, it doesn't say this explicitly, but you've got to make the connection. It was such a great deal. I mean, you just sent her away? Yeah, the, Nehemiah, Ezra, the priest, get rid of her. Take the kids. Really? Well, then what'd you do? I married her. Whoa. And everybody's okay with that. Yeah. I like it. Because there's a young girl down here I'd like to hook up with. Honey? We're getting divorced. See ya. And got remarried. It's like, no, 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 no. No, we're sending away the foreign wives. We're not just divorcing our families and just marrying anybody we want to. And you can see they're, they're, they broke the covenant of, of Moses, the Mosaic covenant, and they had to send their wives away. It appears they brought that practice into this general marriage. It's like, all right. And now they're violating the marriage covenant with the very same practice. It's like, no. These were illegal marriages. These were marriages that violated the Mosaic Covenant. But you've got a marriage, a marriage covenant with 
an Israeli, a Jewish woman with her family, with her father, with the whole, you're a legitimate covenant marriage. But the same people that would break the Mosaic covenant will break this covenant. So they're covenant breakers. And that's where this whole story is going. And this is the third one. About on page two, I, I, I titled it, Israel is not faithful to covenant. And I put that in plural, in parentheses. God says, Judah has married uh, the daughter of a foreign god. Israel says, we repented of that. Why does God still not show us favor? We did that. We sent our foreign wives away. Now bless us. God says, because you kept going with it. You went, God says, because the men of Judah used the separate, separate from foreign wives as an excuse to abandon any of their wives, breaking the covenant of marriage. So if you want to get blessed, you've got to send your foreign wives away. We're sending our wives away and getting new families, getting new wives. It's like, great. No, no, no. You can't break this covenant. Okay, here it is. Chapter 2, verse 10. You decide what this says. Have we not all one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant for our fathers by breaking faith with one another? In other words, we're all the same. Is Why are we breaking covenants in our own group of people here? Judah has broken faith. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. And you know this from both Ezra and Nehemiah. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary of the Lord, the Lord loves, the temple, by marrying the daughter of a foreign god. They brought in foreign wives. And in so doing, they're unclean. They've defiled the temple. They've broken the law of Moses. As for the man who does this, Whoever he may be, may the Lord cut him off from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings offerings to the Lord Almighty. In other words, if you marry a foreign woman and don't send her away, you can't come into the temple. You, you'll, you, you, you're defiling it. You, you've been cut off from the people. So send her away. Okay, we got that taken care of. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to your offerings or accepts them with, with pleasure from your hands. You say, I sent my foreign wife away. And now I'm in here, I'm repenting. I brought my repenting offering. I brought my sacrifice. I've said my prayer. Oh, I'm weeping and wailing in the temple. Just like we saw uh, uh, Ezra do this, you know, weeping and wailing because of the marriage violations. They, well, we've done this. Why aren't we being blessed? Well, why, I sent her away. I went through all the mourning exercises. I'm weeping on the temple because, uh, let's see, uh, I'm going to begin in verse, well, 13 again. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer pays attention to you, your offering or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth. In other words, just like at a marriage, people get married in the church. That's a witness before God. They make a vow to each other before God. He says, I'm acting like a witness before you. You sent your wives away, came and repented, but then you just kept divorcing women. You kept breaking these covenants. I was the overseer of these covenants. You entered in with your own people. Uh, it's because uh, the Lord is acting as the witness between you and the wife of your youth because you have broken faith with her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord made them one in this covenant? In flesh and spirit, they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. We're sent, sending away foreign women who brought in foreign gods is one thing, but just divorcing women as you want to, that's a completely different violation. You, you're breaking both covenants. 
I, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. And he may be saying that because apparently in Ezra and Nehemiah's day, he thought it was a great idea. Just send them away. So you're all right with divorce? Yes, get rid of those women. They're, they got foreign gods. Oh, God likes divorce. Now they start divorcing. Let me reiterate this. I hate divorce. That is not the way you have a covenant. So, so you understand they got the two dimensions happening there. And that, that could become confusing for the simple-minded that want to cause contradictions. But it's very clear. You violate the Mosaic Covenant, you have to fix that. That's fixed. But we're not going to just start divorcing people when we want to. You've got covenants. You've got to honor, just like you've got to honor this covenant, you've got to honor this covenant. Well, I, I had a covenant with this foreign woman. Well, that covenant was a violation of this covenant. It's kind of like signing a, a, okay, signing a teaching contract. I'm going to teach at this school. And then I sign a contract with this school. I'm going to teach at this school. And then... I got to break this covenant. Why you got to break that covenant? Because you've already signed a contract here. You can't have two covenants. You can't make those two. You can't have a covenant with the Mosaic law and have a covenant with a foreign woman. You got to get rid of the foreign woman to maintain this covenant. Now you married a, an Israelite woman. Well, you can't break that covenant. You can keep both the Mosaic covenant and the covenant here. And they did not understand that. So that's where that's all heading. Um, turn the page, and we are look up for a clock, which is not there so here it is i got time i can do this stay with me now the next three uh the, the top of page the fourth dispute is god has grown weary of israel accusing him of being unjust so now they're going to say god is this is the, the accusation now it's going to happen a couple ways unjust because in their mind now get, they gotta you gotta remember the future here future God is unjust because they're going to see uh, bad people just keep prospering. And so it doesn't do any good to serve God because, look, these guys are wicked, and they just keep getting more and more power. Uh, and God, where's the judgment? Guess it, well, it's coming. Once again, here it is. Uh, point one on the top of page three under uh, dispute four. God says Israel has wearied Yahweh. I'm, you've worn me out. I'm tired of hearing this. Israel says, how have we wearied him? What are we doing? God says, by saying anyone who does evil is considered to be good in the eyes of Yahweh, by asking stupid questions like, I added that stupid question part, where is the God of justice? So someone does something evil, they prosper, you go, where's God? It's like, why didn't he intervene? Okay, because we're, we're, we're playing for the long game. He's not just sending bolts of lightning. And the question's going to come up, are you ready for this? Are you ready? You want God? Yes, bring the judgment. <laughs> are, you, are you ready for the judgment? Do you think you can stand in the day of judgment? It's like, I, I would be too quick to say, let's see God's judgment. Because when God's judgment, you can't just pick, I want judgment on that guy and those people over there. No, when God's judgment comes, it's universal. And guess where you're standing? You're at ground zero. Okay, so be careful when you call for God. That's why God's judgment is future. You still have time. You still have time. What about this guy? Do you want to move this up now, or do you want a little more time? Well, here, you can hear that flavor here. Uh, where's the God of justice, they say? And here's some points right here. Uh, 3A, the day of judgment is coming. Now listen, God is not failing to judge. He just hasn't done it yet. You can say thank you later. But can you endure the day of judgment? Will you be able to stand? He will be like a refiner's fire, purifying the Levites and Judah. He is not just going to come for the nations. He's going to come first for the people of Judah and the, 
the priests that are supposed to, he's coming to judge Judah and the priests, not just all your enemies. It will happen like this. One, God will send the messenger of the covenant to prepare the way. So the good news, before this day of judgment comes, the messenger of the covenant's going to come and say, get ready, it's coming. Now, is that John the Baptist? Yes. Or is that Jesus? Yes. I mean, it's like, this, almost like I haven't nailed down which way this goes. They're, but they're both coming. Uh, and I put in here, the new Elijah, the greatest prophet. Then I, this is the second one, then I, the Lord you are seeking, will come to the temple, which is the new Moses or the Messiah. So notice right here, and you're going to see this in here, then I will come to my temple. Remember we started saying when the temple was built, God's going to come to his temple? God says, oh no, I'm going to come to my temple, but we're going to have judgment first. And before the day of judgment comes, the messenger of the covenant is going to come and say, look out, judgment is coming. And when that's all taken place, then I the Lord you are seeking, will enter my temple. So right there you can see the Lord Yahweh is going to come in the temple. And if that's the case, Jesus, Yahweh are exactly the same. So here's those verses right here. They want, they want they're saying God doesn't do any good to be good. God doesn't judge evil. And God is going to say, well, get ready because it's coming. Well, here it is. Chapter 2, verse 17. I've got to read to verse, chapter 3, verse 5. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him? See how that works? Here's the accusation. They say, how have we, what are we doing that wearies God out? Well, by saying these stupid things, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. God is pleased with the wicked. Or, where is the God of justice? We need to see God. If there's a God, let's see some justice. Okay. Well, he says, uh, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. There will be someone come that will say, get ready, judgment is coming. That's going to prepare the way before I come. Now, that's New Testament verses they've taken right over there. And that's John the Baptist saying, Jesus is coming. And that happened in the New Testament, but with, judgment really didn't come in the sense of it came on Christ. So we got it. that was one example of it. It clearly was the first phase of it. But something like that's going to happen again because we still are waiting for this. Because we can still say today, why aren't the wicked judged? Well, Revelation 7 says, and, and who can stand? Revelation 7 asks you, who can stand? Well, then he gives you a list of who can stand. Nonetheless, uh, the messenger uh, wh will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord, now that's Adonai. Notice the letters, small o-r-d. When they're all capital, Yahweh. So this is Adonai. Uh, then suddenly, the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. So that's God coming to his temple. We see Ezekiel talking about the glory coming on the Mount of Olives, and he's going to come to his temple. Now, he hasn't come to this temple yet in, in uh, Malachi's day, but he is going to return. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire, will come. Now here, he's the messenger of the covenant. So you've, got, you've basically got two people coming. You've got the one, the messenger coming, get ready, the day of judgment's coming, and then when judgment has come, then the second one, the Lord, the one you are seeking, is going to come to his temple. He is the messenger of the covenant. Or like Moses was the messenger of the Mosaic covenant, this is the messenger of the new covenant. And so these all, it all kind of plays together here. Again, we'll talk, spend more time on this. 
but who can endure? It's all going to happen. He said, they say, when is this justice going to come? God said, well, it's going to come like this. I'll send a messenger that says, get ready. And then suddenly the Lord will appear. The one that you're calling for is going to come to his temple. Are you ready for that? But let me ask you this. But who can endure that day of his coming? You're excited about judgment? You think you're ready for that. Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and a launder soap. He'll sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He'll sit and grind you or heat you up like silver to purify you. Are you ready for that kind of an evaluation? He will purify the Levites. On that day, the Levites will be purified, but it's going to be a long, hot fire. And then, now we're not justifying purgatory here, but the refining fire is coming. And the Levites, he says, they will be refined. And refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness, and offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in the former years. And that is the end of that right there. No, no, I got one more verse. I got one more verse. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers. I mean, these are his top ten list. I'm not sure if there's ten there. But I will come for judgment. I'll be looking for sorcerers. I'll be looking for adulterers, perjurers, guys that break covenants, uh, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive the aliens of justice. That doesn't say illegal aliens or criminals. That says aliens that are looking for help of justice and do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. So that is the fourth disputation that he has. The fifth one. I Okay, this is... a. Uh, uh, God does not change. The Abrahamic covenant, Mosaic covenants are still intact. And so this is where it says this. Uh, God is going to say, return to me and stop robbing me. Israel is going to say, how shall we return and how are we robbing you? And God says, he refers to the tithe. In other words, keep the law. I, the Lord, verse 6 of chapter 3, do not change. In reference, the Mosaic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant are still intact. That's what it's referring to. That does not mean the, the Mosaic Covenant is still intact today. We've got very clear biblical evidence. The new covenant has come. The messenger of the covenant has come. We are in the new covenant. So the Mosaic Covenant is not applicable as it was. In this day, the Lord says, I do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. And that's because Mosaic Covenant, but also what hasn't changed, the Abrahamic Covenant. God has chosen, and that would be one that has continued, and it continues throughout the New Testament, as I would teach it, that Israel is a chosen people. A lot of people want to blend. Once the church came, Israel lost their place, and the Abrahamic covenant was set apart. Again, the way I teach it, the Abrahamic covenant is an unconditional, eternal covenant with the nation of Israel. The Mosaic covenant was a uh, a conditional covenant that when it was used and fulfilled, it is going to be set away, set apart. So that's, that's again, people to get upset about that interpretation. But that's where I'm going with it right now. I, the Lord, do not change. So you descendants of Jacob are not destroyed because of, of Abraham. So ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. You've always broke the Mosaic covenant, but I have always been faithful to the Abrahamic covenant. Return to me, and I'll return to you. Understand, why did they come back out of captivity? Because the Mosaic Covenant, they all of a sudden in Babylon started keeping the Mosaic Covenant. 
No, they violated it and were disciplined. They were brought back because they've got the Abrahamic covenant. I'm not going to let go of Abraham's descendants. Then he says, return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? And how, do we, how should they return? Well, start doing the right thing. He talks about the tithes and the offerings right there. And then he'll bless them. Now the last one, so we get a chance to look at this. Chapter 3, verse 13 through 21, the end of this, the sixth disputation. Israel says it is useless to serve the Lord. Kind of going back to this right here. Serving the Lord is useless. I've lived my whole life. I've never seen the covenant of Abraham have any benefit. I've seen people go to the temple. Nothing happens. The wicked prosper. There's no justice. This is useless. Okay, God says Israel's words are hard against him. You are saying at this time in Malachi's day, the people of God were saying hard things. They were quoting bad doctrine. If you can imagine churches today, the things they say about God, God might say, you are saying hard things about me. I do not accept or tolerate or cause people to be, you know, you name your transgender. It's like, no, no, I am not. And you start labeling God with all this culturally relevant stuff. It's like, you're saying some hard things against me. That's not true. I'm going to have to intervene here. So, God says Israel's words are hard against him. Israel says, how have we spoken against you? God says, well, when you say things like this, it is vain to serve God. What profit is there in keeping his charge? What profit is there in walking before the Lord or or repenting? The arrogant are the blessed one. These are all listed here. Evildoers prosper. Evildoers test God and they escape. And so here we go very quickly. Verse 13. Uh, You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Israel, of course, responds. Yet you ask, what have I said against you? You have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about mourners and all these things? They're useless. Verse 16, now watch here, the future. This is what they're doing right here. Verse 16 is part of the answer to this. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other. There's a little Bible study off here to the side or a little, little uh, uh, Torah study over here or there's a little group around this altar over here that's saying, you know, this is what we should be doing. And those who feared God says, I know the priests aren't enforcing this and I know the other Israelites are, are not tolerating this. Uh, and it's like, but you know, this is not right. I, I remember or I know and they, those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard them talking, saying good things about him, saying this is what we should be doing. And he, what did he do? He, he, he showered them with blessings. All of a sudden, golden coins began to fall out of the sky upon the children of God. No, no, no. He says, a scroll of remembrance was written in the, his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. For those who feared him and said good things about him and were obedient, a scroll was written. They write their names down. I, I got to make sure I pay them back. Just like in Esther's story, uh, Haman got a, re- not Haman, Uh, Mordecai got a reward later. uh, uh, Xerxes was reading through his annuals and all the chronicles and because he couldn't sleep, so you read about his life. He's going through Facebook until you fall asleep. He's going through it and and he realized he never gave Mordecai anything. He says, what? We never rewarded that guy. God is going to have this scroll in the future. Okay, hey, there they were. In other words, there's judgment coming, but I'm also taking names down of you that are being faithful. 
They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make my treasured possession. I'll make them my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. On that day, you will see the difference. These were the lawbreakers. See? These were the ones who were saying good things. You were saying false doctrine. They were looking and searching for me. You see the day, and in that day, it's like, oh, I wish I was in this group. Yes, you do. So don't worry about this today. Get over here, and God will take care of this in his own time. And it continues with this right here. Um, and, and you'll see the difference. Chapter 4, verse 1. This picks up right here in chapter 4, verse 1. Picks up with... Uh, that fourth one about the messenger of the covenant. It almost kind of finalizes that fourth one where God was growing weary of Israel accusing him. It says, Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or branch will be left of them, but for you who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Now this is probably what they were expecting when they came back from captivity. This is the great day. It's like, it looks like a lot of oppression. We're, we got na national problems. We got political problems. We got financial problems. It's like, right, because we're not here yet. You're still living in time. But understand, if you are in this group, the day is coming where you'll go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked and they'll be ashes under the soles of your feet the, 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 uh, on that day. I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. And now here we go. Verse 4, remember the law of my servant Moses and the decrees and the laws I gave him at Horeb. So one, remember Moses and the laws of Moses. But also remember, there's a new messenger coming. There's a new covenant coming. And see, I will send to you the prophet Elijah. So you're waiting, you're obeying Moses until the messenger of the new covenant comes. But I will send you between those two, I will send you the prophet Elijah. Now he's already come, but I will send him to you again before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. That would sound like the end times, but that was also John the Baptist who came before the messenger of the covenant. So the messenger of the covenant, of the new covenant, is going to come what we'd say two times. He came first in the Gospels, and Elijah came first. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And so that messenger of the covenant, we would say, is John the Baptist introducing Jesus, who formed the new covenant, and then went away and says, this is the, 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 the blood of the new covenant at communion, and says, I will be back. And it appears that before that great and dreadful day is going to come, Elijah will appear again, and Jesus then will return. And so their whole story, as you can kind of tell it right there, is they're discouraged, they're unfocused, the priests are failing, and Malachi has come and says, listen, these are things happening in time. You are a chosen people. We don't feel chosen. Look at Esau. They're, they're an example of unchosen. You are still here, and God is going to build you, and he's got a future planned for you and those who will join with you. I'll pray, and we'll start going through this verse by verse next week. Father, we thank you for the chance to look into these things. We thank you for this, this message. We ask that we would allow it to penetrate our hearts and become the people you want us to be at this time in history. We do thank you for your, your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for a savior that we are looking forward to for his return and ask that your spirit would prepare our hearts for that day that we meet him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time and your patience.